Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the home of storytelling. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, as well as thousands of podcasts. Currently, I'm listening to The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson after I was inspired by watching the series and was told the audiobook had a lot more depth and intrigue. I've been riveted. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. With the app, you can listen anywhere, as it's all in one spot. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash happening or text happening to 500-500. That's audible.com dot com slash happening or text happening to 500 500 this is actually happening is brought to you by progressive insurance most of you aren't just listening right now you're driving cleaning and even exercising but what if you could be saving money by switching to progressive drivers who save by switching save nearly 750 dollars on average and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts multitask right now quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Hello, listeners. I have a few announcements before today's episode. First off, this will be the last new episode of the year. But over the next three weeks, we will be rebroadcasting the top three episode from the last two years of the show, as voted on by followers of the show's official Instagram page, at Actually Happening. We will return with new episodes in the new year, starting January 14th. I'd also like to thank two people who have helped tremendously with the show's production. Nigel Coutinho has done the primary edit on several episodes, including the one you'll be hearing today. Nigel also produces some of the ambient themes used for the music bed on many of the episodes. I also want to thank Sarah Marinelli. Sarah just came on in November and did the primary edit on the postpartum depression episode earlier this month. Bringing on Nigel and Sarah is funded in part by your donations on Patreon, and I want to thank everyone who has contributed to the show. I also want to remind people that if you'd like access to the show ad-free, you can do so by subscribing through Stitcher Premium. As always, I encourage you to join the community on Instagram, at actuallyhappening. And if you love what we do, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful holiday. And I look forward to sharing a new decade of This Is Actually Happening with all of you soon. I'm the kind of person where I like to know answers. I don't like secrets. I don't like surprises. I don't like not having 100% of the details. I really want to know what brought him to that. You know, I really want to know why. Welcome to the Permatemp Corporation, a presentation of the audio podcast, This Is Actually Happening. Episode 145, What If Your Best Friend Met a Tragic Fate? 
Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. I grew up in a in, in a suburban area in, in southern Florida. It was mostly me and my mom. Uh, I did have a stepdad on and off during that time, but as far as I was concerned, it, it was it was me and my mom, and it had been that way for for quite some time. It, it wasn't too bad. I, I I would say it was, you know, middle class. Um, we definitely weren't rich, but my mom always made it a point to make sure that we had vacations. She'd drive me up to Disney. And she had always made it a point to, to put me in Boy Scouts as well. So I was a Boy Scout. Uh, that was also a big part of my life. I was just a, a regular kid just growing up in, in the suburbs. I had friends. I wasn't the most popular person in the world, but I was in band. And, and through band, I was able to, to kind of have a, a nice little circle of friends that you know I could hang out with and had things in common with. Band definitely played a big role in my life because I didn't have many friends and I'm very anxious when it comes to meeting new people. I can be very shy at first and being in the band kind of forced me to be in that social situation. I was constantly surrounded by people and through that I gained, you know, quite a few lasting friendships that I have till this day. It really blossomed, I think, more so when I started high school putting myself out there and just starting to talk, starting to be a little bit more social than I was than I was used to being and trying to be a little bit more outward was freshman year. Prior to the the school year starting uh, freshman year of high school, uh, we were required to do like a like a band camp type situation where we would come in and start learning the music and learning how to march because it was marching band. Standing outside and seeing all these familiar faces from middle school that I kind of already knew, that's when something clicked inside of me and I really wanted to kind of come out a little bit more out of my shell and, and be a little bit more social. And that's really where I felt safe, uh, for lack of a better term. And and that's that's where I met Mike. 
I don't remember the exact initial interaction. I remember that we all came to this camp together and there was faces that we didn't recognize, faces that didn't come from, you know, our middle school. We sat near each other and I had asked him, and this was really early on, I had a little bit of a mouth on me and I asked him, you know, why he didn't curse. And I just, I always remember him saying, cause he wasn't sure, you know, like what if there is a heaven, he doesn't want to be the kid that like shows up there. And then every single bad word that he's ever said uh, is then given back to him. And I, and I, and I think back at that now, knowing how this story ends and it's a weird juxtaposition, <laughs> we were all kids, but he just seemed more wholesome. And I also remember uh, his parents, they had adopted him at a very, very young age when he was a baby. But I remember just seeing them and how they were always there for him. They'd bring him, you know, breakfast sandwiches and whatnot. And they were, they were always visible and they were always supportive. Just this wholesome family. And it's kind of hard to, to kind of hone in on what it was specifically. But it just seemed like, regardless of the fact that, you know, he was adopted, they just seemed like that wholesome American family that in some ways, if, if I'm really telling, like, if, if I'm really honest about it, I kind of envied um, because I never really had that. I wouldn't call my home broken necessarily. My mom did that, you know, my mom did the best that she could, but my father had left at a very, very young age, so... I never had that whole family and I never really got along with my stepdad. So yeah, I think that there was a certain element of envy there. I always liked that like when I went to his house, he always had uh, all these cool toys that, that I loved. Like um, it was an old TV show called Exo Squad and he had like the whole collection. He'd always had computers and I'd never had a computer in my life at that point. On the outside, it seemed like he had everything that I wanted. The way that everything kind of came into play was super sudden because uh, to my understanding, he had been sick and he thought he had strep. I remember being at the library and my mom coming up to me just bawling uh, and she was telling me that Mike was, was in the hospital and that he was in a coma. So my understanding of it was that Everyone had thought that he had had strep, so he had gone to the doctor and they had sent him home. And eventually he got really, really sick and he started getting these red marks on his body. So after we had found out, um, they had to race us to the hospital. Uh, myself and another one of my really good friends, both of us were told that we had to go to the hospital because they needed to give us a shot. I'd imagine it was a vaccination of some sort. Um, so we had to sit in the hospital knowing that my friend was in a comatose state and I was the closest one to the both of us were. We both sat on each side of him. So we were in the closest radius. So there was a possibility that we might get sick as well. By the time I actually got to see him, uh, he was in a coma in a hospital room in the ICU. Uh, and I just remember so vividly, I just remember just big empty room with just machinery everywhere. And a ton of my friends had already gotten there before me and a lot of them were crying. And he was just laying there with just, there's machinery everywhere. 
if I recall, there was hoses, um, and he had retained water, so he was a little, he, he was bigger than, than I remember him being, and it was, it was scary seeing my friend that way. That's one of the most vivid images that I remember, is just seeing him there, just lying there comatose. It wasn't until later that we found out that he had contracted uh, bacterial meningitis, and I believe something, I believe meningococcus as well. He was in a coma for quite some time, I would say for weeks. I believe at that point I was around 15, 16, because I believe it was sophomore year. We were trying out for, I think, like all county band. And I remember being at the audition and Mike's girlfriend coming up to me or coming up to us. And he's like, you know, Mike's awake. Right after the audition, we went to go see him. The red marks on his body had gone necrotic. So all of the red marks, which were on his hands, on his feet, they had all turned black and they had all shriveled. So his fingers by that point looked like just black raisins, you know, just long, dried out decay. I remember him asking, he's like, so, so are you guys scared of me now? And we weren't. There was obvious concern, but it wasn't fear. It was relief that our, that our friend was there. He seemed happy to see us, but I think he might have been overwhelmed, maybe tired. Um, just kind of shook up with the fact that, you know, I went to sleep and I didn't look like this. <laughs> and I hate to say it like that, but, but it was a drastic change. Meningitis comes in either viral or bacterial. And from my understanding, he got the bacterial meningitis. No one really knew where it came from uh, or where he, he contracted it from. There's that kind of worry in the back of my head, you know, like, are they going to be able to save any of his limbs? Are they going to, you know, is he going to be okay? I don't remember the exact timeline. I just remember the doctors not knowing how much of his body was going to be able to be saved. You know, eventually his, his fingers went, um, most of one of his hands went. Most of the arms were intact, heavily grafted, but the, he had a, a wrist, like right at the wrist, and then half of like a palm, no fingers, nothing like that. And most of his lower legs were gone. But every limb had, an, had a, a bit of amputation to it. Most of his body or a large percentage of his body would eventually have to be grafted as well. So he was, he was scarred significantly by the end of it. He would eventually get uh, prosthetics for his legs. He had prosthetics for his arms as well, but he never, he never used them. He only used the leg ones. It would take years of rehabilitation, you know, before he was up like walking on his um, prosthetics. Uh, he was in a wheelchair for a long time, a motorized wheelchair, uh, but it was a long, long process. I just remember when we were at the children's hospital, another boy had contracted uh, meningitis and he didn't make it. So it was obvious from the get-go that he had been lucky. There was a lot of media coverage. Uh, he opened a scholarship in his name. Once he was able to kind of move his wrist around and his arm around, he'd still play computer games. Like, they got him a laptop. A lot of it was... How does he live a normal life from this point on? Um, so they'd look into like getting him 
uh, voice assistance hardware for his laptop. Um, he would still play games, and you know, he eventually he got his wheelchair. Given the situation, it was kind of cool because you know he got his wheelchair. He he hadn't quite gotten his prosthetics yet, so he had this really fast electric wheelchair, and he'd always let us use it. I just remember that as everything progressed, he was still just a kid, and we were all still just kids. Eventually, you know, once he got out of the hospital, uh, he eventually did stay in the band. Um, he played the keyboard for a bit, and I think they tried to alter a trombone for him because his dad played the trombone. We went to homecoming, uh, and that was a big thing, having him come out to homecoming. It was, a, it was a slow process, but, you know, eventually normalcy kind of started creeping in. Him and his girlfriend broke up. Um, I don't think anyone ever faulted her for that. I think that she hung in there a lot longer than a lot of people would have. Because I remember him already being out uh, when they broke up. And I might be incorrect with that. But they, all, they stayed friends. We all stayed friends. So it, was, it wasn't a normal childhood, but, but it was as normal as it could be. Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, this foundation not only provides medium coverage and a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at amazon.com slash instant eraser foundation. Whether you're shipping 100 packages a month or thousands, ShipStation lets you automate routine shipping tasks and easily handle returns. Manage orders, print labels, compare rates, optimize every shipment, and automate delivery notifications with ShipStation's easy-to-use dashboard. Plus, you can access industry-leading discounted rates from USPS, UPS, DHL, and Global Post, with discounts up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. Over 130,000 companies have grown their e-commerce businesses with ShipStation, and 98% of companies that stick with ShipStation for a year become customers for life. Optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Use promo code WONDERY today at ShipStation.com to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code WONDERY. So after high school, he had gone to UF and I had gone to UCF. And um, I would say he was probably there for about two years and we would talk online. Um, I had gone to Gainesville where UF is a couple times, you know, to throw parties uh, with him. He had joined a um, fraternity, like a, a band fraternity, I believe. Um, so he was, you know, he was, he was making friends. He was acclimating the best he could. I don't remember the specifics of why he wanted to move, but I remember driving to help him move and then bringing his stuff back to Orlando. He had found this awesome little like loft townhouse kind of place. Um, it was on the second floor and then it was a two story 
and it had like a hot tub. It had all these like cool little bachelor amenities and it was near the downtown area and it was just an awesome place. And I was there most of the time. I, I, once he really moved to Orlando, our friendship and our bond got that much greater. Um, like I said, I mean, we had been friends and we were definitely close friends by the time everything had happened to the point where I had run into some financial difficulties um, I think either freshman or sophomore year and without even asking gave me this like $1,600 to help me with what I needed because I, I think I was going to get kicked out of my apartment and then some because um, I'd, I'd struggled financially when it when it came to being in school. I did work uh, but it wasn't enough um, and I was trying at that point to survive. I don't know the specifics of it, nor do I know how much he got, but I know that he was very well off after everything had happened and he didn't mind sharing it. He kind of always watched out for me um, and I never really had to ask him to do that. Um, and he never expected a diamond return. Here's a kid who has half of his palm and a wrist and he's really great at games. You know, he'd buy stuff and I'd cook it and we'd just play video games all day or an all night. Um, you know, if I wasn't working, I was spending time with him and we would just hang out. My 21st birthday, I'd thrown this party with friends and everything. And I was just kind of making a statement. You know, we were just kind of talking and going out to dinner. And I was like, you know, I didn't really, you know, I, I threw this giant party, but I don't really know what I'm going to do on my actual birthday. So I don't, you know, I'm trying to plan it out. And he just looks at me nonchalantly and he's like, oh, we should go to Vegas. I was like, that's not funny. I can't, I can't afford Vegas. That's not something I can do. And he just looks at me and he's like, yeah, we're going to go to Vegas. <laughs> and we went back to his apartment and he booked us two first class round trips to like tickets to Vegas at the Palms Hotel. <laughs> so I, I kind of called out of work and we went to Vegas. You know, we, <laughs> we just did it. I eventually ended up moving a little bit further, still in the Orlando area, but I had moved in with some friends. And by that point, I was working a lot. I, I wasn't in school anymore. Um, I was mostly working and just trying to live in Orlando. We would still hang out um, and he would come over or I would go over there. He would start driving. And eventually he had started dating somebody who he would ultimately get married to. For all intents and purposes, they seemed really happy. So seeing all these little milestones, you know, getting married, you know, getting his own place, getting his own car, he was self-sufficient. All in all, he was doing his best to, to live as normal of a life as possible. And he, and he was doing a pretty damn good job of it. He messaged me out of the blue one day saying that he wanted to start a company and he asked me to, to move back up and I could live with him. And we were going to try to start this little like tech support company. We started it and we started to advertise for it. We'd drive around and, and leave pamphlets and whatnot. And he started it officially like it got incorporated. But it never seemed to kind of come into fruition. And that would be a trend in Mike's life that he couldn't hold a stable job he was still financially well off. Uh, he had bought a house, but he was home a lot. Eventually, 
I would meet a girl who would ultimately become my wife. Shortly after we started dating, um, a couple months down the line, she was um, she got pregnant. So I ended up moving in with her so that we could raise our child. And, you know, I was with her for a bit and we started to have some problems. So we, I kind of ended up moving back in with him um, while I support, you know, like while I, I worked and kind of just tried to get my life back together in some way, shape or form. If I wasn't working or if I wasn't spending time with my with my son, we'd spend hours just playing games and like screaming at each other from across the house because his computer room was on one side of the house and my room was on the other. And it was cathartic, I guess, for lack of a better term, because I, I don't know how I would have done that alone. My girlfriend and I kind of re-established our relationship and I would eventually move back in with her and they were at my wedding and I had another son. Also around that time and maybe a little bit before that is when I st he kind of started to show an interest in guns. Someone had broken into his house and they had come home just in time to like for the guy to be leaving or whoever it was. He had, uh, I believe, um, two AR-15s in the house, and he would go to the shooting range and fire them, and like he'd take friends and go and you know fire them. I just remember those two things kind of showing up around that time. Like I knew that the guns were there, but I never felt threatened by them in any way. After certain incidences he just didn't want to live in florida anymore so they ended up moving to georgia throughout our entire friendship mike loved to drink like a lot it didn't seem like a problem growing up because so many people drink when you're around that age but looking back at it you see that he really did have an issue with drinking for years um i remember him getting so drunk that he started hitting my window on my car. I was driving us back to the house and he was like slamming my car window and I was really afraid that he was gonna break it uh, while I was driving. We were at a, like a club of some sort and he got angry and I don't remember what he got angry at. He just slammed his hand down on the glass, like his palm, and it shattered the glass. So I saw these little instances, these little flashes of anger but I never really paid much attention to them. So, I mean, with that being said, I don't know the specifics of what caused the problems in the marriage. I do know that he had sunk into a bit of a depression because he was having a hard time getting a job. And I just remember that she had told me that the drinking had become a big issue. And eventually it just came to the point where he told me that he was gonna be moving in with his parents. Uh, his parents were also living in Orlando at this point. We never really got super deep into his, his personal feelings on anything. He was always kind of mysterious when it came to stuff like that. But I could kind of tell, you know, just piecing it together that, you know, if he was coming back home, it wasn't, it wasn't for good reason. So clearly they were having issues. Ever since I knew him, he... He was always okay financially, and now I don't think he had the house anymore. I think the house went into foreclosure. So the house was gone, and he didn't have any money, and he was now living with his parents. 
So first chance I got to hang out after he had told me he was back in town, you know, I told him, it's like, hey, you know, I'm going to go out with a friend. Why don't you come join us so you can get out for a bit? And he said by that point, he didn't have funds. So he would take a rain check. Okay, well, maybe I'll take some time during the week or something and we'll go have lunch or something or I'll go see him and his parents um, because his parents loved me. But I didn't think that that conversation was going to be the last conversation that we ever had. I was at work and I just remember my wife calling me at the time. I'd picked up the phone and she was bawling. I I picked up the phone and, and she was like, Mike just killed his parents. And, and I was like, what? Because um, it, it didn't make sense. It was unreal at that point. It was like, that, that doesn't make sense. My wife was at home alone and she was afraid uh, because she didn't know if he would come to our house next. I left work. And again, it's one of those things where like, like, what do, what do you, what do you do? You know, like, um, he just killed his parents, you know, like who else is he going to go after? Is he not going to go after anybody? Uh, I didn't know, you know, so I went home. Um, I remember calling the police and just letting them know that I knew that he had two AR-15s, which I guess they didn't know at that point. I had spoken to the detective. I was at home kind of comforting my wife. I was angry. I was scared. I was upset. You know, like, what do you what do you do? And I remember he had asked me if he could live with us for a little bit because he had before he had made it back to his parents house. He had lived with one of my friends and they eventually told him that he couldn't stay too much longer because he had kids and he was with his wife. And like, you know, they just couldn't have that extra guest there. And I didn't think that he would want to live at my house because my house was really hectic with the three kids and I didn't know if he would be angry at me for that or I don't know if he was just going after whoever he could but I remember asking the cop if he could send a patrol car every couple hours just to make sure that everything was on the up and up on the in the neighborhood he didn't even say no all he said was if he shows up at your house you do what you need to do to protect your family And that statement has stuck with me to this day because the implication that if my best friend were to show up at my house with hostile intent, he was suggesting suggesting that I take the actions necessary to make sure that my family is okay. It kind of just stuck with me, you know? So that night, I barricaded the doors shut and we we had a sliding glass door, so I slept by the, well, I didn't even sleep. I stayed by the sliding glass door all night, um, making sure that nobody showed up. And it was one of the scariest, emotionally exhausting nights I've ever experienced because you just don't know. I'm just worried. I don't know what his intentions are or were. So I don't know if it's you know, justified to be afraid or justified to think that he might, you know, come after me. But if he went after his parents, who I thought he loved, there's no telling who he'd go after next or if he would go after anyone next. So it was a this dread mixed with uncertainty. And that's that's what that night was. 
was constantly looking at the door, constantly looking at the window, listening for any sound that sounds out of the ordinary, and just just fear and fear and and just questioning and and just it was just traumatic. And that's where like your mind starts racing, where like what would have happened had I seen him, you know, Sunday? Like that's where it starts and that's where a lot of my feelings that I still kind of hold to this day start and like where I kind of felt like I failed my friend. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. And it needs to say, I'm a thoughtful person. And I appreciate you. And I know exactly what you like. All at the same time. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life, like the pickleballer, the jazz fan, the zen seeker, the artist, or the pasta lover. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there's something for everyone on Etsy. A gifting moment is always around the corner. Whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Gift easy with Gift Mode on Etsy. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash wondery, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash wondery to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash wondery. You know, eventually morning came. We start kind of piecing information together and it's, I just remember the pieces. I remember that he had gone to his parents um, and he, I, I believe he cleared out their bank accounts and I believe he cleared out him and his wife's bank account as well. Uh, and he proceeded to go on the run. I remember messaging him. I still have the messages to this day asking him, you know, what had happened and could he please, you know, just talk to me. You know, I would have liked to talk to him, even if it was just the last time, see if maybe he would turn himself in or see what his intentions were, like, see if I could get some answers. And he never messaged me back. I don't know if he got the messages. I just remember that I never heard from him again. The main question was why. Throughout the years, um... I could definitely tell that there was a little bit of a rift between him and his parents where there were certain things that he didn't like. um, And I know that his wife didn't like them to a certain extent. I always just attributed it to, you know, at a certain age, everyone might 
have a little bit of disdain for their parents, you know, like, because they think they know more, what, whatever it might be. I thought it was just like a phase because his parents had moved up to Orlando to be closer to him. So I don't know if maybe he thought they were being overbearing. I never really knew a lot about where that feeling came from, but I knew that some of it was from his dad. Um, I would say his dad loved him, but his dad definitely had a, a weird way of showing it sometimes. And he was very, um, I don't know, it's kind of hard to explain. It wasn't until later that I found out that his dad was left un unidentifiable <laughs> um, from his face. From what I remember being told, um, it almost looked like he went after uh, his dad first. And I think his mom was shot in the back. So I think it was meant to stop her from either doing something or I don't know if she was protecting. I don't know the specifics of it. I, I don't have answers. I don't have closure about it. But yeah, it, it was a it was a weird night, to say the least. From my understanding, from the reports and everything like that, he had made it out of Florida. And I'd spoken a couple years later to his wife about it. And I think she thinks that he was kind of heading towards like someplace remote, someplace where he could just get away. So he got pulled over from making a, an illegal U-turn. And I, from my understanding, and I might be slightly wrong in this, as the cop was getting ready to walk towards the car, he heard a popping sound. So by the time the cop got to the car, he had already killed himself. And I believe, you know, that was just him knowing that, you know, he'd been pulled over. It was only a matter of time before they pinpointed what he had done. And I never got the answers that I wanted. I don't know if I necessarily deserve them, if it was necessarily any of my business, but never in a thousand years would I have thought that it would have been him. Because like I said, I think about that, that wholesome kid who wouldn't even curse because he thought that he might get to heaven and he'd be held responsible for every time he said a bad word. That kid had now murdered his parents and I couldn't make sense of it no matter how hard I tried. I think back to that time that he broke the glass. I think back to that time that he punched the window in my car. And I think back to how much he drank. And I just see these little signs. Had I hung out with him, could I have changed his mind? Would that have been enough to change his mind? Or even worse, if I had hung out with him, would he have taken my life? It kind of brought this sense of blame. Like I felt like, I should have been there for my friend who's been there for me. It's to this day, it's, it's, it leaves me with the sense of like, could I have stopped it? And I don't know if that's arrogant of me to think that I would be able to say something that would be the catalyst, but like, I'll never know. People are going to jump to, oh, well, he's a bad person. But at the same time, you know, the flip side of that coin is, I knew the part of him that wasn't bad. He never spoke ill of me. He never, you know, he never hit me. You know, like, yeah, I saw moments of aggression, but they were never aimed at me. He did terrible things. And I feel like you do a terrible thing. I guess that should make you a terrible person. But that's something that I'm conflicted with every day. Like, I don't, part of me hates what he did. Part of me hates him for it. But part of me just wishes that my friend was still here. Part of me remembers the, the person that he was. 
when they, they had the funeral for his parents, uh, it was in Orlando. And so a bunch of us had come, you know, like there was family and everything. And I just remember the urns sitting there. And I just remember walking up to them before leaving and walking up to the urn and just saying, I'm sorry. You know, I'm, I'm sorry I couldn't fix it. Um, and like I said to this day, like I hold this blame, like I wasn't there for my friend. And I feel like if I could have been, then maybe I could have changed something. I'm the kind of person where I like to know answers. I don't like secrets. I don't like surprises. I don't like not having 100% of the details. I really want to know what brought him to that. You know, I really want to know why. And I want to know why he didn't reach out to me. I want to know why I didn't get to say goodbye, as, as odd as that sounds. Like, I don't know. Um, I, I wish that he didn't take his life. And it's one of those things where it's, it's the second time in my life that I've had to come to terms with, like, mortality being a very real thing. And one of the things that I ask myself all the time is, is I don't, I don't know what comes next. You know, I don't know if, if there's a heaven, I don't know if there's an afterlife, or I don't know if it's all just black, you know, if everything just ends. But I'm also know that I'm not in a hurry to find out. So I wish I knew, you know, what was going on through his head. Was life so terrible that he would risk nothingness just because he wanted it to stop? Because whatever came next, even if it was oblivion, was better than what he was feeling at that time. Those are the big questions that are constantly plaguing me. And I mean, it'll be perfectly fine one moment and the next moment it'll strike me. You know, it'll come out of nowhere. Or, you know, some of my friends ask me about it. Um, the hardest is it's, it's become a Florida Man article. So every once in a while, it'll pop up on Facebook and I'll see it as a mockery. Like people will treat it as a joke. Like to see people kind of laugh it off and, and kind of see it as foolish is hurtful. You know, I ultim ultimately ended up getting divorced. And I think one of the things that one of the most hurtful things that I ever heard coming from that was my wife was afraid that I might turn out like he did which I wouldn't in a million years. And to even hear that um, was in and of itself kind of traumatic. I wouldn't say I'm 100% back to who I was before that. I can't say that there's one specific thing that's make, that makes me different. I just know that I'm not the same and it's, it's hard to pinpoint it. You know, I hate to say this, but I'll, I'll try to joke about it because that's how I grieve. I, I tend to, to grieve by making fun of things or, or cracking jokes to hide the fact that I'm still very much hurt. It's added like an extra element of anxiety in my life and sometimes depression where I'll just, you know, I'll just think about him and I'll just get really down. But I don't, I don't think I would ever do the things that he did. I kind of ask myself, like, what's the threshold when it comes to that? Like... How much could I deal with before I ever got to that point? Again, it just gives me another what if. You know, what if I did? You know, what if I could? I don't think I could, but I didn't think he could. I know that I suffered from depression. I know that I suffered from things like anxiety just to begin with. And it was never terrible, but, you know, I'd have my bouts. But I never thought that he did. You know, I always thought that he was just 
I thought that he made it. I thought that he survived. I thought that he faced these insurmountable odds and he came out of it better than I ever could. I looked up to him for that. I don't know. Looking back at it, I wish I had said something. Um, I wish I had told him that he has anger issues. I wish that, you know, everything's I wish. Everything's I wish I could have. I try to, like, rationalize my way through it. Like, obviously, I'm not the one that pulled the trigger. Um, yeah, it just sneaks up on me. Like, I'll tell people when I tell the story, I always tell them, you know, like, I feel like I was partially responsible. And everyone's like, well, you're not. I was like, yeah, I mean, I understand that. But your brain still has a habit of being like, but maybe you were. <laughs> like, um, you know, like, maybe there was something I could have done. And that's where that guilt comes from. It definitely has changed my perspective on good and bad. It's it's about as gray as it can be. I don't I don't see him as a villain. Um he did villainous things, he did evil things, you know, he did horrendous things, but at his core, at his best, he was a good person. Um and he made a terrible decision. And I don't know what the cause of that decision was, but I don't see him as a bad guy. I I I feel like he needed help and he didn't get help. It kind of makes me think back and I wish I had the exact quote, but I remembered reading Julius Caesar when I was in high school when he's being buried and they say something along the lines of the evil that men do lives on, but the good is often turned in their bones. Like no one thinks about the good that he did. You know, like no one knows that. He bailed me out when I needed him. No one knows that he fed me when I didn't have money. I remember that person. You know, I remember the adventures that we had and like that wasn't the person that did this. And no, I don't think that people are just good or bad. I think that sometimes bad people do good things and I think that sometimes good people do bad things and we it, it's not it's not as simple as he was a bad guy. Because the, the, the fact of the matter remains is there's so many questions. It's a weird sensation. I mean, people often, like people always ask me, like, how did you deal with it? I mean, I mean, you just do. Like, you'll never get to see my kids grow up. We'll never, you know, play games again. Like, I don't even I don't even use my computer anymore. Uh, I, I'll still play video games on like the console, but. I stopped playing the game that we used to play. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't touch it. It's it's weird. You do your best to move on from it. And you're just you just always feel a little bit different. It gets me like every once in a while I'll go into like that rabbit hole of like what does come next. Like will I, you know, one day I'm gonna die. Honestly, obviously, but will it be nothingness? Will it be heaven? Will it be hell? Will I ever see him again? I don't know. I just. I hope wherever they are, all three of them, I hope they're happy. I hope they're at rest. I hope they're at peace. This Is Actually Happening is brought to you by me, Whit Misseldine. If you love what we do, you can join the community on our official Instagram page at Actually Happening. You can also rate and review the show on iTunes, which helps tremendously to boost visibility to a larger community of listeners. Thank you for listening. Until next time, stay tuned. Hi.
Hey, Prime members, you can listen to This Is Actually Happening ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart. Or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.